Hello, and welcome to the Elam Thriving Podcast. We're your hosts, Allie Szynski and Colleen Kindlin Steele. We're here to connect you with information and resources that promote thriving. Our goal is to see you and the individuals with disabilities that you support thriving together in community. I am here today with Seth Perler, and um, Seth is an executive function coach, and he's currently out of Boulder, Colorado. Seth, can you just uh, introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about your background, what you do, how you got into this work. <clears throat> how I got into all this? <laughs> so I am uh, what's called an executive function coach. I really don't care what people call me. My my mission just is to really serve kids so that they can have a good life. And I was a teacher for a long time, but the thing is, is that um, I, I, as a child, struggled with executive function, and I was falling through the cracks. I went to college, failed out of college, went to another college, dropped out of that college before failing out, almost failed out of high school, and ever since first grade, my report card said lazy, does not try, does not apply himself, daydreamer, all of these sorts of messages. Um, and I really felt like a person who couldn't, who wasn't going to be successful in life, and I felt pretty hopeless, and why even try? And so anyhow, I, I, um, after I dropped out of my second college, I ended up um, working with kids as a fluke in Indianapolis, and I fell in love with it. And after six months of working there, one day I, I was driving down this road called Spring Mill Road, I, leaving one of, my, one of the schools I was working at, and um, I, I'm driving down that road and, and I'm, I had this smile plastered across my face and I realized that like in here, I was like happy with what I was doing and with my yeah. work and working with kids. And in that moment, I decided to dedicate my life to serving kids. Wow. And so I did what I thought I should do, which was become a teacher. I didn't know any other path at the time. And now I know there are so many people that are doing so many cool things with helping kids, but I became a teacher. And I taught for 12 years and got a master's in gifted and talented education and worked with many different grades and many different subjects. And um, in teaching, I gravitated towards the kids who didn't fit in the box, the kids who struggled, mm -hmm. the kids who weren't your, your typical students, um, what we would now call neurodiverse learners. Um, kids who, who were differently wired, who had different types of brains and learning and thinking and experiencing the world. Um, and I really liked the challenge of working with those kids, probably a lot because I could, I can tell what life is like for them because I experienced yeah. the same thing, trying to fit in a box that you cannot fit in ever, no matter how hard you try. And after 12 years of teaching, I left the teaching profession to really focus on those kids those kids that struggled that don't fit in the box that and um and I started doing the coaching and I've been doing that since 2010 and I blog I have a YouTube channel I make videos for parents for teachers for kids I have programs online for kids I have live clients here in the town I work in um I have all kinds of different offerings for people but it's all around this, this one central topic of executive function and 2E, which I'll talk about later, but yeah. executive function. And the reason that I do executive function and why that's so important to me is because what I realized after years of working with these kids is that all 
kids who struggle in school struggle with executive function. Now, let's say 99%. And when we address things from the lens of executive function, we can do a much better job of serving those kids. Unfortunately, we take the wrong approaches a lot. We do not understand what executive function is. Many people have never heard of it. Many teachers have never even heard of it. People are not equipped to help the people they are trying to help. They are not given the tools to help kids who struggle with this stuff, or they're not given good enough tools, or they're not given good enough training with the tools that they have to be able to serve these kids. Now, who cares? I do, you do, parents do, teachers do. Why do we care? Because if you can't execute, so executive function means execute, to be able to get things done. If you can't figure out how to get the important things done, when you have a goal, let's say a kid wants to start a business someday, and they have all the desire in the world to start this awesome business, but they don't know how to organize or manage time or execute, or self-start, or do the parts of the process of building their business that aren't fun, that they don't feel like doing, and that's what happens with school when it's doing things that they don't feel like doing, they're resistant, I don't feel like it, why do I have to do this, this is stupid, I don't wanna, I can't, whatever the story is. If they can't figure out how to do a decent enough job, doesn't have to be perfect, of execution, getting things done, they will not be able to accomplish their goals and dreams in life. Now, on the flip side of that coin, sadly, this is a quality of life issue. And for many of these kids who can't reach or attain their goals or dreams in life, they are going to settle or they're going to have mental health issues or addiction issues or uh, financial issues or relationship issues or career issues or whatever. The problem is, is that these kids can't figure out well enough how to do the things that need to be done. They're going to A, limit their choices, possibilities, opportunities for their future, and B, potentially have very negative experiences in their life. Yeah. So that's why I really do what I do, because I want these kids to have a good life. Yeah. Yeah. That makes so much sense. So when I work with people and try to explain executive functioning, you know, people sometimes are like, well, is that ADHD or what's the difference or how does that all, you know, interplay? How do you explain that to people when that question comes up? That's a fantastic question there. So if you look at the DSM, you can look up the DSM five online and ADHD symptoms, or they have a list of, I think it's 12 now. I think it used to be 18 and now it's think 12. And I think they're broken into two sets of six. Anyhow, if you read those things, those are executive function things. So ADHD is a, it means that somebody is struggling with executive function. Now, when you have ADHD, let's, let's take the H, let's take somebody who's hyper. Now, not everybody with ADHD has the H. Mm -hmm. Not, not everybody is hyperactive. Some are inattentive. Some are inattentive and hyper, whatever. But let's just take the H. Hyperactivity. What is hyperactivity in terms of executive function? Well, if you have to execute on an important task, let's say you are 16 and you're filling out a job application and you really want this job and you have this thing called hyperactivity and you, um, your impulse 
is to go out and hang out with your friends, even though you had 100% intended to sit down and focus on that, um, on that application. Mm-hmm. Maybe you go back in and you start to work on the application. And then with the H, your, your hyperactivity, the impulsivity, you have the impulse to do something else. Or you are distracted by something mm-hmm. else. And you can't focus or pay attention or concentrate on the task at hand. And you go to do something more interesting than that job application. So you're trying to get something done that matters to you. And this is, I think, the baffling part for a lot of parents is to be able to to watch their child who's struggling with executive function and say, you know, if you would do this thing, it would actually help you get the things that you want. But it does that logic and reason and rationalizing or punishing them if they don't or trying to reward them if they do or things like that. Those things don't work in the long run. It does not change the fact that the child does not have the skills to navigate that thing. So anyhow, the point was, was when it comes to, you know, ADHD, a a problem with attention, with attention deficit disorder, a problem with attention means that you can't attend to the things that you are trying to get done, the things you are trying to execute on. Yep. So there, you know, we, we can split hairs about what the differences uh-huh. are, but, um, but essentially ADHD, it means that you struggle with, um, with execution. And that's why it's a problem, because if you can't execute, you can't accomplish your goals. Now, if you um, also, if you, let's say you do not have ADHD, but let's say you're on the autism spectrum, and let's say that you have trouble with part of executive function that is called pivoting or um, changing tasks, Mm -hmm. um, and you have trouble switching your mind from one gear to another gear. Well, that's part of execution. Sometimes there are interruptions and you have to be able to um, get off track and be able to get back on track. Um, I'm just, again, using one example of one aspect of executive function Mm -hmm. that you might see with someone in this case who's on the spectrum. Um, So that that sort of difficulty in switching gears can inhibit your ability to get done the things that are important to you reaching your bigger long-term goals. Of course, it can help you in sticking with your short-term goal, but if your short-term goal is something that um, doesn't have much value, like playing Minecraft for six hours, um, (laughs) then meanwhile, there's opportunity cost while you're playing Minecraft for six hours, you're not moving your body and getting physical Mm -hmm. movement and exercise and mobility and strength and flexibility. You're not maybe eating, you're not having uh, in-person social interactions, obviously with the pandemic right now, that's a different discussion than it normally would be. But, um, so anyhow, there, there's just sort of, so when you're trying to explain it to people and people are just to circle back to where you started, people are confused about well, what a, executive function, the word sounds so confusing. All it is, is it's the front part of the brain doing all the things. Imagine there's a toolbox in the front of your brain and in that toolbox are many different tools. You have your hammer, you have your saw, you have your screwdriver. There are many different tools that empower you to get things done. But in executive function, the things that help you get done is organization, 
time management, prioritizing, flexibility, uh, being able to pivot, being able to regulate emotion, being able to regulate frustration, um, being able to override your own resistance to doing the things that need, like all of those yeah. things are in the toolbox. Being able to go to yeah. the teacher and say, hey, sorry, I was spacing out for the last hour. hour. I have no idea what you just said. And I'm not ashamed of it. I'm sorry, but I did not catch it. And I want to do well what just happened. I need help. Yeah. You know, being yeah. able to advocate. Uh, the, all of these things are tools in the toolbox of executive function. But executive function just means to execute, just get things done. Yeah. And I, I think sometimes we recognize that there's students in our classrooms who don't have a label, right? They don't have a specific, they aren't diagnosed with autism, they aren't di diagnosed with ADHD, but we see them struggle. And I think sometimes there's um, the temptation to say, well, if they don't have the label, that means they're just not trying. And I, I, that's where I try to encourage teachers that if you see these executive function difficulties, we need to support them, label or no label, it doesn't matter, right? Yeah. And there's a big, a lot of parents will ask me, you know, I think my child could have ADHD. I think my child could have something. Um, and I, I, it's a tricky conversation, the whole label thing. And I'm curious where you stand on that. When a parent comes to you and says, should we pursue a diagnosis? What, what do you say to them? I know what I say, but I'm really curious to hear what, what you say to parents. You know, I heard Temple Grandin uh, talk about labels one time in a talk that she did. And she is probably the most well-known um, autistic person alive. And it was so interesting, but it really, um, I'm not going to read, I'm not going to do justice to that story, but I, here's what I'll tell you. In Seth's world, there is value to labels and there is no value to labels. Mm -hmm. There is a time when they're valuable. There's a time when I couldn't care less. I've read so many neuropsych reports. I, I, it's crazy. I've read so many of them. And, and there are so many labels to have. Now, the good thing about a label is that it can give you an idea of certain common traits of people mm -hmm. with that label. But let's look at ASD, Autism Spectrum Disorder. Let's look at a 14-year-old girl on the spectrum who does not present in any sort of stereotypical way that most people would imagine. That child is very difficult to identify, if they're ever identified. Mm -hmm. um, the label could be very helpful in helping the people who are working with her to understand her. Um, and then on the other hand, people can misinterpret the label if she did have the label. And people can think, oh, uh, you know, all people with ADHD or this or that. Or, um, so the labels have their place. So I, I guess it, for me, when I'm talking to parents, I'm looking for what value can we find in the label? And certainly in researching whatever the label is and, and um, finding what people have spent years or decades studying that label. And there's valuable information that can be very helpful. And then where is it just not viable? Where can it be harmful? Because there are places mm -hmm. where the label can be harmful. 
So there are kids that I call gray zone kids. Gray zone kids are kids who are not labeled. And I hate to use the word bad, but sometimes people will say, yeah, the school said my kid's not bad enough. Meaning uh-huh, in terms right. of being labeled. Like clinically with, significant enough. Yeah. Right, right. And so that gray zone kid is a kid that will often struggle with what you mentioned before, being misunderstood by the teachers mm-hmm. and by the parents. And I will explain that in depth momentarily. So um, I think when it comes to the labels, you have to also understand that if your child does have a label, they are often misdiagnosed, underdiagnosed, or overdiagnosed. So you have to be very, very, very thoughtful about your research on the label. Yeah. So I do encourage you to research the heck out of it, but know that there may, it may be um, misdiagnosed or, or under, there may be under di- something that is not seen. So there's often what's called comorbidities. So a lot of mm-hmm. students who have one label actually have another label too, whether an, or another thing going on, whether or not it's yeah. been identified. So now for kids who are not labeled with anything, but who are struggling with executive function, you can go get them tested. That may be valuable. It may not. Mm. Um, because if you get them tested, you find out something's going on, you find a medication and it changes their life. Great. I've also seen kids try medications and they have horrible, horrible side effects for the kid. The kid hates it, hates how they feel. Um, so this is no joke. It's, and it's not, I, I used to be very anti-med. I am definitely think that medication, I want to see it as the last resort after sleep, yeah. nutrition, eating actual food, green things and stuff and real actual foods. Um, not just processed stuff and exercise, real yeah. movement. Like once that's, once you see the physiology of a human being sort of in a pretty regulated place, dealing with underlying emotional issues, then you can start to see, well, what would a baseline be? But I'm, I'm not a doctor and I can't say that. The only thing I know is that um, with labels, I don't want people to be afraid of them, but I want them to be very cautious, really explore and really don't be black and white. Oh, I hate meds. Oh, meds are great. Oh, you know. Um, so, but this is a, a place to explore. Now, the good thing about, even if you have a gray zone kid and you're like, I know something's going on, or even if there is no label and they don't, you know, a lot of kids who um, who struggle with this stuff, maybe they are have legitimately really have ADHD but maybe they're not identified with it, that kid may just be really good at compensating. They may be really good at playing the game. They may be like me when I was a kid, I was, I was a charmer with my teachers. I could get away with anything. <laughs> I was that kid, you know, so I could kind of, you know, so I, I may have, anyhow, it, it gets people to misunderstand uh-huh. what's going on now no matter, and this is why I love executive function, no matter what the label is with executive function, you can pin down aspects of executive function without shame and say, well, the kid has no sense of time. Right. How do we deal with that? Well, we certainly don't do it by punishing them. That is not going to give them a sense of time. We don't do that. Well, I'm going to, be careful what I say about rewarding because rewarding I use a lot, but not in terms of just holding out a carrot. And, um, but I think, you know, parents, 
make the mistake of saying, oh, well, if you get all A's, I'll give you a hundred bucks. That long-term reward like that is not going to help with the kid who yeah. has no sense of time. So, but the, either way, let's say we're looking at a sense of time. The question is, how do we help them deal with that? They have no sense of organization. They lose their papers all the time. Well, we can help them learn how to manage papers. Mm-hmm. They forget to turn things in. Okay, well, how do we help them remember or get skills or tips or tricks or ways to turn things in? How do we support them? It's not by shaming them. It's not by punishing yeah. them. It's not by giving them bad grades and saying, you're a bad boy. You get a zero. I'm not going to give you partial credit because it was too late even though you worked really hard on it, even though this looks like you didn't work hard on it, but you say you did. So many of these kids have worked so hard and have not been seen. That, yeah. And they'll say, nobody notices what, how hard I try when I do try. So why try? Yeah. So that was a long answer about labels. <laughs> no. And no, I didn't but- get to, uh, and I think this is a nice segue. Do you have any questions before I move, move on? No, I just wanted to say, I, I think what you shared is really, really helpful. Um, and I guess one of the questions sort of, or topics related to that, and, you know, when parents ask me about the label issue, I say, well, sometimes labels can be useful within the school system because then, because then you, you're eligible for services. That's, which an, is a, that's a very a important big, point. Very you know, which is a big thing. And so that's, you know, it's sort of this pros and cons thing, right, that we weigh. And I say on the pro side is that if there's a label, then people suddenly view it as legitimate. And it's right. not just you're lazy, you're this, you're that. Right. It Suddenly it's like, oh, they have a real thing. So now we should support them. Right. You know, so Sadly, that's often we, true. Right. And so it's like, well, that's, that's one part of the value of the label. The other thing that I talk about, and, you know, this is... I'm a person who was diagnosed with ADHD when I was older. When I was in school in the 70s, you know, when I was in kindergarten, first grade, you know, they didn't really think girls could have that. And, you know, it it was, it just wasn't, especially if you were um, a a bright kid or whatever, it was like, oh, well, you don't fit this profile at all. So I went for years without, without ever being diagnosed. And I guess the segue I'm, or the, the, the way I'm going with this is self-esteem is what I want to talk about next, because sometimes when parents will say, you know, what, what would be the value of a label in my life? I know that once I had sort of a name for this whole set of things that I struggle with. And I, I remember I read um, Hallowell and Rady's book. This was back in the nineties, um, Driven to Distraction. Like that was sort of like the big seminal work mm. that came out and and I read it and it was like, for the first time, I was like, I, I, oh, wow, like, this is a real thing. I, this isn't just me, you know, being deficient. This isn't just me not trying hard enough. This isn't me being lazy. This isn't, you know, this is a real thing that I have. And I think that it, it really helped my self-esteem, which was in the toilet by that point, you know, because I was a bright kid that just couldn't seem to get things done. And I would get the work done and then I would lose it and I couldn't find the paper and I couldn't turn it in. And, you know, it, so I think sometimes the value in giving something a name is that then a kid is like, Oh, I have a thing. Like there's a reason why my brain works this way. And I think whether we call it executive function difficulties or ADHD or whatever, sometimes it helps a kid to know like, this is a real thing that I'm struggling with. 
and this is the way my brain's wired. And there might even be some good things about having a brain like this. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's all about the frame. And that's the way that you chose to perceive it. And it really varies from kid to kid in terms of the, the frame that they're going to take on and how their frame has been impacted by their family, um, by their culture, by their subculture, mm -hmm. by their school by the people around them, by the media they've been exposed to. Yeah. So, you know, one kid could say, okay, thank goodness. I'm so glad to know that I'm not broken. I don't need to be fixed. There's nothing wrong with me. This is just a thing. And there's a lot of really amazing strengths that I have that nobody's measuring. So somebody could have that sort of a frame or somebody could have the frame. Yep. See, I knew I was broken. Yep. And they get, I uh, see, I knew something was wrong with me. Um, see why try see yeah I'm right. just a victim. Um, I can't do anything I'll never be able to do so you know we can't but the good thing is is that as the so for those of you watching we get to convey the frame yes positive frames to these kids now many of you watching I'm gonna call you out on your stuff and this is no this is, doesn't mean anything's wrong with you, but you got baggage. We all do. We all have dysfunction. Every single human being. We all have messaging that we've learned that as we become adults, we have to question and say, is this the truth? Or is this just the story and the narrative and the thoughts that I have developed over the years? And we need to really check ourselves and say, what is the message that we are communicating? But we have an opportunity yeah. to really say to our kids, you know what, for years I thought this, but you know what, you have such amazing strengths and let's focus on those and develop those because that's what you're going to build a career on. That's what you're going to be build a life on. That's what you're going to build your relationships on is your strengths, the amazing things mm -hmm. about you. And school's not always going to notice them, but I sure as heck am going to try my best to always help you uh, notice them and help you build on those. Yeah. Can you speak a little bit to sort of the self-esteem and shame component of all this? Because I know I've lived it, you've lived it, all the kids that we've supported have lived it. Talk to me and, and let our listeners and the people watching just, if you can give them a little bit of a window yeah. into what yeah. that's yeah. like. So we mentioned the word misunderstanding before, and I think this is such an important part of this conversation today is that if you, if we have this, do this whole episode and we don't talk about shame, we are missing the boat. So what happens is, is that we send these messages uh, and we, you know, those of you uh, listening to this right now, um, you're listening to this because you want answers. You want to know more. You want to learn. You want to be able to better serve the child or children in your life. And so we are coming from a good place, but that doesn't mean that we always do the thing that's going to really be the most helpful thing in this child's life. But we're com always coming from a good place. So um, what happens is, is that we have grown up with our stories, our narrative, our dysfunction, um, uh, our beliefs about the world and how things work. And for many people, especially people who have exceptional executive function where it just comes easy for them, it is baffling to them that their child can't get something done. Mm. 
because for them, they don't struggle with that. They see that a bill needs to be paid. They sit down right there and they do it. They see that a dish needs to be cleaned and they do it. They see that their teeth need to be brushed and they do it. They, and so it is baffling to look at their child and say, how could you lose that thing? How could you forget that? How could, but anyhow, but the tone, listen to the tone of my voice, how, blah, 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 blah. Listen to the vocal tone. This is polyvagal theory. This is really cool for you parents mm -hmm. uh, research, but, but we communicate in so many ways. So a lot of times our kids not even hearing the words, they're hearing the tone and they're hearing, there's something wrong with you. You're broken. Okay, so let me back up. So here's the story. The story that kids often receive, even though our intentions might be to motivate them, the story that they often receive is, you're lazy. You don't try hard enough. If you would just try harder and do what you're told, everything would be fine. Why don't you just pick yourself up by your bootstraps? Why don't you just put more effort in? You got so much potential. Why can't you just get started? Why did you lie about that? Yeah. Well, I don't understand why, you know, you, you, why you're being lazy. You just need more discipline. You just need to motivate yourself. So all of these stories, oh. listen to my vocal tone. They're all, they all had this tinge of condescension, of contempt. And when teachers, parents, adults, anyone, even to us, to us adults, who we feel it. Yep. If, if you go into a store and you ask for somebody and somebody has a little bit of contempt and says, it's on the aisle over there, even if it's so subtle, 10 times more subtle than how I just said it, we feel it. Yeah. We know. Our kids feel it so strongly. And, and what happens is, is they hear those stories. You're lazy. You're not motivated. You don't care enough about school. You just need to try harder. Yet It's the same stories. There's just a, a handful of them. But the kid hears that over and over and over and they start to do what's called internalizing it. So they start to not think, okay, I should have done this thing. They start to think I'm bad. Yeah. I'm broken. There's something wrong with me. I'm not worthy. I'm not enough. I'm bad. And when a human being starts to think that that's very difficult to reverse. And, you know, you and I, I'm sure, have spent years doing our own work on ourselves to really realize, no, I haven't. I play an amazing role in this world, in my world, in my family, in my community, in, in how I show up. Mm -hmm. I found my place. Some people don't find their place. And they resort to anything and everything to avoid feeling that way. Mm -hmm. So the shame that we inadvertently, adults, inadvertently um, communicate to kids can be so, so deeply mm, painful that people can resort to very, very bad choices that, as I said at the very beginning of our discussion, that inhibit their quality of life. But ultimately, sometimes that inhibit the quality of life of the people that around them that they care about and their families and their communities. It's not that they're not contributing. They're actually doing things that are harming people. Yeah. And these are good human beings and what they need. People who are shamed, people who are not shamed. What we all need is the simplest things, love, empathy, compassion, patience, understanding, mm -hmm. things like that. Now, this 
this discussion on shame, again, I said that we have been exposed to our own dysfunctional messages, just the messaging that we've grown up with about the way things are that we need to challenge. Is this a true message? What's really going on here? Um, But that brings me to what's called attachment theory. And Mm -hmm. what we are trying to do, and I want to make, because for those of you that are listening to this that say, oh, my parents shamed me as I grow up, and now I'm shaming my kids, and I don't want to be doing that. Or for the teachers that are listening, and they're saying, I know I'm contemptuous with my students sometimes, or with certain students, they just get under my skin or push my buttons, and I don't want to be like that. We, what we are doing is we are dealing with something called attachment theory, which you can research a lot. And attachment theory has to do with how we attach with relationships securely, how we securely feel secure attachment with other people in our life. So, so for example, your best friend, my best friend, the people that we're closest to, we have secure attachment with them. Why? We feel like they hear us when we talk, Mm. they get us, they understand us, they see us, they take time to really know us. They really have our back. We know they've got our back. We know they're there. For people who we don't have secure attachment with, it may be a coworker, a relative, a a boss, um, it may be a teacher, a principal. For people who we, it may be somebody working at a store we go to, or for people who we don't have secure attachment with, we don't feel safe. We don't feel Mm -hmm. secure. We don't feel like they get us. We don't feel like they have our back. We don't feel like they see us. They understand us. We don't feel those things from that person. And when we don't feel safe around them, we are guarded and we have walls up and, uh, and we are not our authentic selves with them. So what we want for our kids is to build as much secure. We want to be a secure base. We want to be an anchor for our kids. We want to be someone who, uh, they, they, even if they don't like what we're telling them, even if they don't like the boundary we're setting, mm-hmm. they know that it's a firm boundary, that we are there for them, that our intentions are that they can come to us when they're scared or when they're in trouble or when they really need us, they will come to us because they feel secure enough to come to us. That's what we are working towards. I know many people don't have that at this moment, but mm-hmm. that is the, that's the direction we're going. That's, yeah. that's what we want. That's the, to me, the most important thing, forget everything about education. If you can do nothing more for your kid than build a great relationship with them, that is the most important of all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think what, you know, what we're talking about today is really helping parents and teachers to understand more about what this all is so that we don't have the misconception that kids just don't care or that they're just not trying. Because I, I've worked with parents that'll say, well, I've given them all the tools. I know, you know they can do I've, it. I've seen them right, do it before. I've yeah. seen them do it. And, you know, I've given them these tools and they're just not doing it. And I think that's where a lot of the work that you do comes into play. And so I want to kind of transition into talking about, so let's say the parents are are doing what they can to make this secure attachment and they want to see their child be successful. They're not shaming them, but then they're like, now what? Like, how do I actually help them? What, what do I actually do? And I think, you know, when you think about, I loved what you said about when these things come naturally to you, you just think everybody can do them naturally. You don't realize that these are skills. 
that's actually a skill you have to be able right. to perceive time accurately, to manage your time, to they are skills organize. that you have done push-ups on that thing forever. Yeah. And right. You, they probably came pretty naturally to you. You practiced them throughout school without even knowing it. Right. You know, you you've got these skills down. And so if you're a person who has those skills down, you don't even realize that they're skills. Like it's you just think, well, everyone should be able to do this. And so when your child can't or your student can't, you think, well, okay. And I think it's hard for us to sometimes as teachers and parents to think about breaking those skills down and how do we actually teach those skills. And I know that's what you do when you, you come alongside a student and you work with them to build those skills. So can you talk to us a little bit about what that looks like? Yeah. So first of all, there's an assessment on my site. If you go to sethperler.com and you look for the executive function article or the 2E article, there are some PDFs that I have. I have a lot of, P my site is filled with free stuff. Um, so you can go there and you can start watching the videos. And I really break down a lot of this stuff. But basically the good news is this. I've been doing this a long time. And the um, assessment more or less covers the basis of what you need to know. But as far as skills, fortunately, this is not an abstract, arbitrary, shot-in-the-dark thing. There are a finite number of skills or th that people need to have. Uh, I won't talk about all of them, but I'll mention, because I don't even have my paper in front of me, but I'll, I'll mention um, some of them from the top of my head. Any practical sense, parents and teachers, students need to learn. And again, like you were just saying, like some students seem to pick it up through osmosis. They don't, they're not even conscious that they're, that they're practicing a skill because it comes more naturally to them in the first mm -hmm. place. So what are the things that they need to have skills with? Well, one is planning, planners, calendaring, scheduling. I don't care what you call it. But it's not just hand a sixth grader, the school planner, which I hate anyway, because they're usually like 100 pages big. They have the school handbook in it that nobody reads. They have a bunch of pages that nobody else reads with commonly misspelled words and how to write an essay and the periodic table. And, and while that stuff is nice for a kid, who has no idea how to use a planner and you give them a hundred page book and tell them to just start using it, that, that, that does not teach them these skills of how to use the thing. Yeah. And then the kids sitting next to them, you look at them and they open it right up, write the thing down that the teacher put on the board. And you're like, that kid is trying hard. Right. They're a hard worker. Hmm. You're so disciplined and motivated. No, they just have practiced the skill, many skills for a long time. Now, planning is not just giving someone a planner. It is many, 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 many skills. To use a planner, you have to remember to pull the planner out. You have to know to look at the board for the planner. You have to know to focus on the teacher as the teacher is t telling the details. Now, there may be a... A uh, classroom pet that is more interesting than the teacher that you're looking at the classroom pet and then the teacher says 
Johnny, are you listening to me? And you're like, oh, whoops. And then you're ashamed and then you're not paying attention. You're just looking at the teacher, pretending like, can you tell I've been there before? (laughs) (laughs) Looking at the teacher, acting like you're paying attention when you're really just feeling ashamed that everybody's looking at you and your face is turning red. And and then you're writing something down in your planner. You didn't even look at what page you opened it to (laughs) and you're just writing blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you'll never find it again. (laughs) So... The, the micro skills in using a planner mean that you have to get it out. You, you have to use executive function to focus, pay attention, concentrate on what the directions are. You then have to, if you have processing difficulties and you then have to think it through your mind and get it out of your hand and that's challenging for you, but nobody knows it because it's never been identified and it's just you're taking too long and that mm-hmm. sort of a comment that can be very shameful. You have to, but anyhow, you have to be able to process what's happening, write it accurately. Then you have to remember to check it at night. You have to know that what you wrote is reliably communicating what the expectation was. Then you have to get out the thing. Then you have to self-start. Then you have to put finish. Then you have to put it back in the right place. Then you have to get it back to the teacher with your, you know, but planning, there's a lot of things about it. It's a, it is a, multitude of skills that take a long time to develop organizing so you have to have a, you have to have, be able to use a planner calendar uh, agenda whatever you call it you have to be able to organize your stuff well enough so a kid has to and, and these kids are the kids that just jam it into their backpack yep not, their minds are not systems thinking minds for things that are low interest and you might be like well my kids system thinking mind works just fine when it comes to video games or legos so what they must just not care about this. Yeah. They, maybe they don't care about it. Maybe it is boring. Maybe it is unengaging. Let's look at that. You know, maybe what they're being asked to do, they really see no value in whose fault is that. Uh, so compliant kids often look like they care. It's not that a compliant kid cares. It's that a compliant kid often just feels like it's more painful to not be compliant. So we got to really look at what's going on in, in the reality of, of the experience of these kids. So anyhow, as far as trying to answer your question in a very, uh, I guess I'm doing this in a more thematic way than detailed way, but basically the just is you have to know how to plan. You have to know how to organize. You have to know how to advocate for yourself. Um, you have to, and ask for help, uh, and not hopefully not be shamed for it because you don't have the skills to do the thing. Um, you have to have what I call a sacred study space, which is a place mm. where you can sit down and focus that is free of distraction and optimized for focus. Um, you have to be able to self-start or task initiate or get over procrastination. You have to be able to deal with emotional regulation and your own resistance to doing things, your own procrastination. And because when kids feel resistant to doing these things, um, there is a, a physical experience that's happening in the body when we resist something. So think about like the a food that you think is just disgusting. And if you can't think of one, I'll give you one. How about um, uh, how about chocolate covered crickets? Uh, yeah. People will eat. People eat insects and in cultures all, all around the world. I, so imagine something that repulses you. We have a physical Mm-hmm. experience and in repulsion to the the idea well they're having that experience with their resistance as well to doing the thing oh i gotta do this homework i don't know where to start i'm probably gonna lose it i'm probably not gonna finish it's gonna take a long time i don't understand this stuff i need help but if i ask for help i'm gonna be shamed well you know so mm-hmm. 
so it's a lot easier energy wise to just go to, ah, I don't feel like it. This is in yeah. the, the, to the short story that kids resort to. This is stupid. Why do I have to? I'll do it later. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it in five minutes. I'll do it tonight. Blah, blah, blah. So, but they're not going through every single story, but they've learned to have sort of defaults to not take action. So anyhow, um, I just listed a bunch of them, you know, mm-hmm. but, but basically, uh, on the assessment that I have, I really break it down so that you don't yeah. have to listen to me ramble. You can really circle the number on the rubric that your kid is in a certain area. And, um, I made that real clear to and easy to use. When I give out that assessment, I recommend that people use it once every month or six weeks and see mm-hmm. progress, but it really yeah. helps you look at what are we going to work on right now? And I don't want a kid feeling like they have to work on everything. That's horrible. Can you imagine if I picked apart all of your faults and then said, now let's work on all of them this month. So, and that's how these kids feel. They feel very criticized and micromanaged a lot of times. Mm -hmm. So I, but I want them to take ownership and say, and I want to say, Hey, what do you want to work on? And they're like, all right. And I usually frame it like this. What do you think if you worked on one thing, what do you think would have the biggest domino effect, positive domino Mm -hmm. effect on your life this month? And let's say they say, oh, well, probably the advocacy if I talk to my teachers more and ask for help more. Or maybe they say, oh, well, if I use my planner more consistently, you know, that would have a big dominant, whatever it is. And then I really want to support them in that one thing. Now we work on the other things, but I don't focus on the other things because they're all related. Planning yeah. and organization and time management and advocacy and all these things, they're all, they all go hand in hand. Um, but I want their- how many tell tell our listeners like so they can envision how like how many times a week do you support these kids? Like, let's say you've got a new kid that you're just working with. Awesome question. I want people to get an idea of what this actually takes, because I think that people just really underestimate the amount of time yes. and investment that it takes to build these skills. So talk yes. to us about what it looks like. And that just reminded me of the comment that so many adults will say, I know you know how to do it. I've seen you do it before. That doesn't take into consideration all of these skills underneath the surface that need to happen to do it. Um, So I work with kids for a minimum of a semester. And I work with them three or four times a week. Yep. Luckily, and I work with middle, high school, and college. The reason I don't work with younger kids very often is people don't see the red flags and all of a sudden they go to middle school and the handholding stops mm-hmm. and they fa- start failing classes. And the parent goes, what the heck is happening? My kids never failed anything before. Yeah. So all of a sudden they, when they get in middle school, the level of executive function is so much needed to succeed is so much higher mm-hmm. that things start to fall apart, usually in middle school. Yep. So, um, but yeah, so three or four times a week and, um, and I luckily, you know, we're working on homework while we're doing it because it weaves in. So I work with a group usually, but I also do one-to-ones. Um, but it, so yeah. And I only work with about 10 kids at a time and I have a tutor on hand. Um, so, you know, this is very hands-on stuff. Yep. Because you're not just dealing with building these skills. You're also dealing with the resistance. Mm. 
how do I empower you to not just do the planner well and learn the skills about planning and organizing and meanwhile, learning skills about writing a paper or whatever the homework is for the night. And, but how do I help you with your resistance, mm. with your temptation to check out, with your wanting to be on your phone all the time and Snapchat and mm -hmm. um, with your, or YouTube or do anything but these things. How do we work with that? Because anybody who thinks they're going to help a kid with this stuff and doesn't work with that stuff in a compassionate, empathetic, patient way, mm. our timeline is very short. If you would just do X, Y, and Z, everything would be fine. No, we, we got, so now I also have kids that I've worked with for four or five years. Mm -hmm. um, so it, this stuff takes a long time. I would say for a kid, I would say about 10% of the kids I get have decent executive function, need a good push, need some good structure, and they can come to me for a semester and they can take it and run with it. Mm -hmm. But most kids, it takes multiple semesters. It's way slower than parents want. You have to be patient. Your kid is on their own timeline. They are who they are. They're on their own path in life. They, um, and I think that's hard to sometimes accept. Yeah. Um, from what yeah. I hear from parents, I've heard a lot of parents who have grief around that. And if you do mm. you work through that, that's okay. You know, that, that these things are, you want your kid to have a good life. That's the bottom line. Yeah. Whatever yeah. it takes. I and thank you for takes, sharing that getting your own family therapist or your own couples therapy or your own whatever. Again, we adults, we've, it's not the kid. We have plenty of our own stuff to work on. And the more we show that we care about ourselves as an adult to go get our own therapist or do our own self-development or go to our own support groups or read our own books on self-development and stuff and to challenge ourselves and to change. when they see it, not that we're talking about it, when they see it, and when we become more stabilized in who we are and our um, responses to, to life and the people around us, when they see us being more secure, stable human beings, they learn from our example. Yeah, Seth, that kind of leads into something that I know I've encountered and I'm sure you've encountered. And I think that this is really helpful for teachers, especially to understand that when kids have this type of wiring, it's very possible that there is one or two parents in their home who have a similar type of wiring and a similar type of struggles. Not always, mm -hmm. right? But some of the time we know there's a genetic component to some of this type of, of wiring difficulties with this, whether you call it ADHD, executive functioning, but we know a lot of times there's a genetic component. And what I think teachers sometimes miss is that they say, okay, well, I've taught this kid at school how to do this, and I'm sure the parent can carry this on at home. I'm sure that when they go home, you know, I'll just let the parent know, hey, support this at home. Right, okay. And I think what the teacher misses a lot of times is that there might be a parent at home who has these same struggles. Mm -hmm. Home might be a very chaotic place. Mm -hmm. Even if it's loving and supportive and nurturing, sometimes, home might be a place where there's not a lot of structure and routine. There's not a lot of clutter-free spaces where you can sit and focus. 
And so I know in my own work that I've done, and I've heard you mention this in some of the, you know, stuff I've heard you do that sometimes it's helpful to go into the home and like, Hey, let's figure out how we're going to get. I do home visits too. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And obviously Mm -hmm. most teachers aren't going to go home with kids, but I think just for teachers to understand that, like, this might all break down at home. Like there might not be somebody there who's able to help this facilitate all that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so in terms of the parents, you can have one of basically three configurations. You have two uh, parents with exceptional executive function who both do not get this kid. You have two parents with horrible executive function who who are (laughs) totally, it's like, yep, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And then you have the mixture. And then when you have like the mixture, sometimes it's a really good compliment, you know, like the, mm-hmm. the, you have the one who's structured, the one who's free spirited and they really um, complement each other. Um, and then you have where there's conflict and, and, you know, couples that split and what have you. And then, but you also have that with the two who struggle with it, you know, they can complement each other and there's so much warmth or they don't and they, anyhow, and you could imagine every scenario and yeah. I couldn't qu- possibly quantify any of that, but, um, but the 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 main point that you're bringing home is that just because you, the teacher, try to communicate something at school doesn't mean that it's going to go home. And then there also might be awful traumas that are going on at home that nobody knows about. Yep. Um. So we just, I, I talk about iceberg theory where we see what's on the surface, but mm-hmm. what's going on underneath the iceberg. And there's all kinds of things. There could be like undiagnosed um, learning disabilities, but there could also be traumas, all sorts of traumas um, that really impact somebody's nervous system, somebody's executive function, somebody's ability to learn. But the point is, is that the teachers um, don't always understand what, what's going on underneath the iceberg, what, what's going on at home. Mm-hmm. And um, so, th- and that challenge is really the way we do teaching in which this pandemic time right now is really, and I'm excited about it because we need massive, massive, massive revolution and reform in teaching, in my opinion. And, and this isn't the teacher's fault. Teachers go in there with the biggest hearts in the world, the most important job in the world, um, but you're not supported to really be empowered to do the work that you want to do a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, the biggest problem in uh, a practical sense that I see with these sorts of situations is clarity. So teachers, mm-hmm. parents are unclear. And what you can do, teachers, is help parents be clear. And teachers, I do not want to make your job harder, but this is going to take a little bit of time, but it will save you and the parents and the children time, energy, and frustration in the long run, and will empower people with less stress, more time, and more learning in the long run. And this clarity comes in the way of you being very clear about the most common questions that I hear. And I can't rattle them off right now, but I will rattle off a bunch of them. Mm. Basically, what I suggest that you do is have a page on your website or a PDF mm. or a link on the bottom of your email with a PDF or an, an FAQ, frequently asked questions, and, or you can use Google Calendar and you can put this link on every date on Google. But here's what parents need. They need to be clear on all the things that they're asking you about. That is... What is for homework? How long should it take? 
How long should it take if my kid has attentional and processing issues? How long should it take if my kid has unidentified issues or my kid's a gray area kid and we're really struggling with this? Or there's something going on in the home or a grandparent just uh, went into the hospital or something. How long should it take then? What are the accommodations or modifications? What's the most important objective of this homework? Why are they even doing it? Is it to do a worksheet and jump through a hoop? Or is there learning that's supposed to happen with this? Because if there's learning that's supposed to happen with this, then we can focus on what experience can my child practice that will help towards that learning. I don't care if there's 50 questions of math tonight. What if they did three of them perfectly? For a lot of kids, that is going to benefit them, and depending on the, the math, that, that's going to benefit them a lot more than doing the 50 things and just getting a check when the teacher just, you know, kids see this stuff. I, I have my kids all the time. They're like, oh, the teacher doesn't care. They don't even look at it. They just, you know. So you got to and say this on your frequently asked questions. How long should homework take? What if it takes yeah. longer? What should you ask me, the teacher? So tell, tell the parents, if you parents have a question, here's what you should do. Email me, mm. leave a message, um, write me a note, write a sticky note and put it on the homework and send it back, um, whatever. But to parents, I mean, because you, you have your students who you give them the homework and you have the kid who goes home or you have the kid who you hand out the homework, the kid right there in class starts working on it. They get half of it done before the bell rings and then they get it done at lunch real quick and then the, uh -huh. they put it back in the backpack and they turn it in and it looks like they spend so much time on it. And then you have the kid who gets home and they can't find it and they're emailing the teacher, can you send us a copy of it? Where can we get it at? Oh, we got it. Now we have a zero. Now I go through kids' backpacks and I will find four copies of the same thing. You know, I'm like, why do you have four <laughs> copies of this? And they're like, well, I, th I thought I lost it. Well, oh. I could be like, well, you need to try harder. No, it's, well, mm -hmm. I need to help you learn a system of navigating this and organizing your stuff that is simpler, more streamlined, and easier for you to figure out. How we need to get the supports in place <laughs> for you. Yes. yes. Um, so now, now I'm getting loopy. I can't even remember the question. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so Seth, I guess that kind of leads into something else I want to talk about. I think we're all probably getting a little loopy at this point with this oh, current. Let me, let me finish that. So yeah. the, yeah. I do remember I, so okay, you can create a page or frequently asked questions or something that tells them how to get in touch with you, how to make their accommodations, what to do when they lose something. You can put the PDFs or photos of everything. You should never have a kid asking you for another copy of something. It's 2020. If a kid says, can I have another copy of this? You should say, absolutely. You know where it is. And they should know that they can go to your portal and they can download the PDF and, and print it mm -hmm. themselves. Or if they don't have a printer, that blah, blah. But um and I'm not saying that you say that condescending, but your systems should be such that it's easy for everybody to find what you need, that those questions shouldn't even have to be asked because um, what happens is that, that parents get the homework and they're like, I don't understand what you have to do. Parents will read it. I'll read it. And I'll be like, I don't even understand what you have to do. I don't get it. I, it's not clear to me. So be clear, be clear, be clear, overly clear, exhaustively clear. And I'll give you one example and I'll shut up on this. <laughs> I did an online executive function online summit last year. There was thousands of people from all over the world that came parents. It was just for parents and I'm doing it again this year. I had people say, email me. And after 
afterwards and it was for sale after after it was over it was free while it went on and then they could buy it i had people buy it and then they would say i can't figure out how to log on and i would say well you click the login button you know i had so i had got so many of these emails that i had to start writing basically like literally click this word right here to go uh -huh. to the link <laughs> and I had to write I didn't make it I basically I said click right here and I made it in uh -huh. all click right here to find blah 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 click right and now if you follow my emails you'll see it always says click right here because <laughs> yep. people sometimes don't know that it's a link if it doesn't if it's not underlined it, or if it's yep. not a certain color <laughs> you yeah. have to explicitly explain everything to them and, but that's what you want to do. You just have to make the, so clarity, 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 teachers. That's the, the point of this conversation, clarity. How can you yeah. make the message clear? And I think that teachers sometimes, one of the big things I drive home when I work with teachers is that just because you said it doesn't mean that people processed it. And even if they did process it at that moment, doesn't mean they remembered it. Oh yeah. So always pair your verbal instructions with a visual. I'm always, so glad you mentioned always, that. Always, always. And give kids a, a little time. Like just yes. because if all you write on the board is, you know, social studies, chapter seven, page, whatever, numbers this, and then you rattle off a bunch of verbal directions. Yes and it's not written anywhere, half the kids are not gonna absorb that. Yep. And then when they get home, the parents didn't hear any of that stuff. So, so they're relying on the kid for the clarity that I just described. Right, and the kid, it's like yep. half of them didn't process it when it was happening in the moment right. for whatever reason. Yep. Whether they're distracted, they have slow processing, they're, you know, whatever it is. Processing but, is such an issue that I think is yes. not talked about that is invisible. That is such a problem. So that's a big one yeah. to understand. So what I, I'm trying to encourage teachers, we have the technology for you to post this stuff online. So whatever you said, make sure you type it in there. Like here's a, a few bullet points of helpful instructions to help you do this assignment. Yeah. If you mentioned them in class, then they're worth typing up and putting online. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Okay. That clarity, that's all it, all it is, is clarity. Now, I will say also, and this complicates things, is that you get into middle school and high school and you have kids that have teachers that use Infinite Campus. The other teacher uses Schoology. The other teacher uses Google Classroom. The other teacher has their own website. The other teacher mm -hmm. has executive function struggles and, it, and it is a complete mess and you can't figure out anything. <laughs> and they don't know which teacher posts on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, every day, once a week, once a month, when they update the grade one teacher updates the grades all the time one does it twice a semester and, and your kids yeah. it, it is so confusing for parents to navigate so on that frequently asked questions that I was telling you with the teachers mm -hmm. is teachers you should be answering the question when do you give updates to parents where how do they log in you need to make it as easy as possible for them to find the things they have so many links to go through I am not exaggerating sometimes it takes us 20 to 30 minutes just to go through the kids portals to even figure out what has to be done for the night and unfortunately a lot of that time is wasted because we go yeah. to the portal and find out there's nothing even there yeah i think that's the most frustrating for parents for those of us who coach kids for the kids 
yeah. it, it's it's really frustrating when you go there and it's not there. So I guess I, I think we've covered, a, I think we've done a lot here today in helping cool. people understand some of the misconceptions, the shame piece, what it actually takes to work with a kid. Now, if a parent doesn't have access to or can't afford a coach and they're wanting to try to help support their kid at home or a teacher is like, hey, I wanna learn how to teach these executive functioning skills at school because I know they're not getting it at home. Do you have resources anywhere? I mean, my whole <laughs> site is packed. My YouTube channel, I mean, I spend 10, 15, 20 minutes dissecting things and I try not to put fluff in my stuff. I get right to a point. I mean, I, yeah. I dissect it deeply for you. Awesome. It's not rocket science. Go get my, if you want to support me and you, and you want to buy one of my programs or things like that. Great. This is my living. That's how I do it. But I put, so I also believe in service to the world and I want to serve as many families as possible. I, it's all out there. I don't hold back. I don't do like go. It's there. There are many yeah. other experts out there that are doing amazing free things. Go take the time, get it. Um, and the other thing is, is if they can't afford a coach or somebody like that, then hire an amazing college kid, mm -hmm. high school kid. If you have an elementary kid tutor and have them watch some of my stuff or have them work on these executive function mm -hmm. things. Like if, if your kid won't listen to you and there's a lot of comp and a lot of parents tell me that. Yep. If your kid won't listen to you and it's going to be such a bad, then don't do it. Get a high school kid, pay him 20 bucks an hour. It's going to be best money you ever spend. Get a co local college kid, but whoever you get, make it somebody who your kid feels secure attachment. Yeah. Someone who, when that kid, when that college kid leaves your house and you just paid them for whatever and they, they go on their merry way, that your kid feels good about who they are. Because that human being, I don't care if they even got to the math. I don't mm -hmm. care. But if they're walking away and your kid feels like, hey, I matter. I'm important. I, this, this kid was fun. This kid sees me. This, mm -hmm. this, this tutor or whatever, mentor, whatever the heck you call them. They see me. They understand me. They make me laugh. They take time. Yeah. They really, you know, they don't shame me when I procrastinate. They just help me mm -hmm. move through it. They're okay if it takes me 45 minutes to do my first thing. And, you know, that is gold. Yeah. Yep. So and if, I you think can't, if you can't afford it and, and if you can't even afford that, then get a, get a relative, get a friend of the family, get someone uh -huh. who, who is not you, who <laughs> now, if, if the, your kid will work with you, then you do as much as you can, right. obviously. Um, but if you really want someone who's not you, then like, don't ever, get into a limited mindset where like, oh yeah, well, we can't find anybody. Yeah, I'm special. I can't find anybody because blah, blah, blah. Like get out of the victim mentality. There are nice people everywhere. You know, yeah. there are kind people everywhere. And again, with the victim mentality, many of us have grown up with that mm -hmm. sort of dysfunction. We've learned it from our parents and, and it is not serving our kids. Yeah. Like find somebody. There are great people around you. Yeah. You know, it's when you, there's a phrase that I've kind of come up with that I always use with the kids I work with because some of the kids, you know, they might get in this learned helplessness thing, you yeah. know, or they hear I have ADHD or I have whatever. Yeah. 
And then it's like, when they're unsuccessful with something, they're like, well, I have ADHD. Yeah. It's just like, so I have ADHD. Excuse, Why? Yeah. it becomes an excuse. And what I tell kids is there's a difference between reasons and excuses. And it's a, it's a really powerful difference. And I talk with parents about this too. Excuses keep you stuck. Reasons empower you to move forward, right? So there's a difference between saying, I have ADHD, and that's the reason why I struggle with this. And it's also the reason why I do X, Y, and Z for myself, help myself. Right. That's a so very good distinction. Yeah. It's, a, there's a, there's, it's valid to have a reason why, you know, yeah, I'm going to struggle with this stuff, but here's what I'm going to do to help myself. Yeah. An excuse is different. An excuse is, I have ADHD. Keeps and that's you stuck. It. Very and well you just stay stuck right where you are. Yeah. You know, and I, it's it's sort of a subtle distinction, but it's it's an important one, you know, to move these kids forward. So the last thing I really want to talk about is what's going on in the world right now and how we're all, a lot of us are stuck at home, we're cooped up. What do you think is the impact specifically for kids that have these executive function difficulties with this current situation? And yeah, what do we do? I, I put on my site on the top a whole link and I have um, in that link, I have a page for parents, teachers, and students, and other resources to really help during this time. I'm I'm really scared by this time and what's the impact it's going to have on our kids. Um, and I'm also really excited because this is going to shake up things in the education world that I think need to be shook up. Mm. Um, because this is where it really... It, this a time like this really brings out the best in people and the worst in people and the best in systems and the worst in systems. Mm. It really brings to the surface, the things that w it's an opportunity to look at the things that we value and want to continue investing in and the things that aren't working and that we mm. should stop investing in. Um, so as far as uh, kids who struggle with executive function, this is a particularly scary time because a lot of these kids, even if I don't agree with everything that's going on in school, these, they need structure. Mm -hmm. they, yeah. need, they, they need to learn to do, they need to get an education. That's the key. Now, I don't believe in everything in education, but in a good education is the, the key that will open the doors to their life. The good news is, is that online education is not, I mean, you can go to YouTube and find the best teachers teaching in, in the amazing ways. Like it's really challenging. Do we even need universities? Mm. But the problem is, is if you struggle with executive function and you're not a highly motivated person type <laughs> and you just want to, um, you know, check out all the time. Well, these, so I'm really uh, afraid these kids that struggle with execution, this is a time. It doesn't matter if your kids in first grade, fifth grade, eighth grade, 12th grade, their youth is a time for planting seeds for their future. Now their youth should be filled with joy, connection, family, friends, things that have nothing to do with education whatsoever. Like, What's the point of life? It's relationships. It's, it's the people that you care about. That's the point of life, right? But 
in this time of their youth, during this pandemic, it is still a time to plant seeds in their education and their executive functioning skills, which is part of their education and their emotional well-being. This is traumatizing for the planet right now. This is not a joke. I don't use the word trauma lightly. We are, this is trauma we are going through. What is trauma? Trauma is a response to being unsafe. This is an unsafe time. So we're experiencing trauma. We're experiencing how do we get safe? How do we deal with this threat? You know, this is, we need to help our kids with their mental health during this time. We need to build the secure relationships. We need to laugh with our kids, enjoy our time with our kids, be grateful for our kids. Look at all the things we don't usually have time for that we do have time for right now with our kids. Tell them about our childhoods, about our families, about um, our family history, um, about tell them all the stories, have time with them where we're playing board games, have arguments with them. And I'm not saying to ever, ever, you know, harm or hurt, but, but you know, it's messy. Like families, you know, you're going to get your buttons pushed. Let that happen and be messy and grow from it as a family. Um, work through problems. Uh, Even if it's messy, even if you feel like your kid's not listening to you, go to them and say, I love you. I'm here for you. No matter what, I've got your back. I'm not a perfect parent, but I am here for you. And I'm going to keep reaching out to you. And I, and we will keep, we are here for each other. And family is the most important thing. And I am never going to ever drop you. I'm always here for you, even if I don't do it perfectly. And that's can be really hard with, especially teenagers that are really, angsty and (laughs) (laughs) but but you don't stop saying the message over and over and over and this is but it's a time for planting seeds so it's a time for all the other things the relationship to me is number one but it's a time for planting seeds so for kids who struggle with executive function we want them to have regardless of what's going on with the schools educational experiences the great thing is is there's something called unschooling you can research but there there are like if you're watching this on video right now some of you are listening i have guitars behind me i love guitars i play a lot of guitar Uh, i am a self-motivated guitar learner but when it comes to doing my taxes i have no desire to ever learn how to do my taxes right so um so i will invest in my own education with guitar watch videos and learn and practice new songs and all these things so that is you know, what I'm learning right now, how can your kids learn things that they're interested in, that they're passionate about, that they're curious about, you know, how can we give them learning experiences? They don't have to have a test. They don't have to write an essay about everything. If a kid reads a great book and talks to you about it, is that enough? Does that mean that they're not learning because they didn't write you an essay? Because they didn't make a project? Like, Ask them about the book, the plot, the characters, the theme, what you learn from it. Challenge them uh, on the book. Read it with them. Um, Discuss it. Like, are you going to tell me that that's not education? Yeah. Um, Seth, I love that. I love that you're emphasizing that we can kind of look at learning in a fresh way right now. We have an opportunity to do that. And so I love what you said about if your child has an interest, maybe your kid has always wanted to learn to play the guitar. If you have one sitting around at home right now, now would be a great time, you know, to start watching some YouTube videos. And, you know, like you said about reading a book, playing board games together. I mean, there's, there's so many different ways that, that you can stimulate kids' minds besides go online and do your online school, which I'm not like saying they shouldn't, but, there's a lot of other things 
think we yeah, can do. just look at look at the opportunities that are all around. Um, I will say for kids who struggle with executive function, when I work with college kids that struggle with executive function, they often don't know how to do their own laundry, how to organize their life, how to um, cook a meal, how to clean um, a, a pot correctly. Uh-huh. You know, um, how to not how to not use a fork on it and scratch the Teflon off, which is not <laughs> healthy. Like things like that, even like that. Like, oh, that's a great idea. You know, like how think about like what is your kid gonna need? Mm. Yeah. Another thing I was thinking is that I know the, the, when I was teaching, the students I had who had struggled with executive function a lot of those kids benefit even more than the average kid from exercise. And I think being cooped up right now, if there's a way that you can get your kids outside at all, you know, or find like, I know like those go noodle things or there's, there's different things that you could do. And like, if they're little the go noodle, but you know, maybe there's like exercise video, it's something, I don't know, maybe you have an Olympic dance, the dance program. I mean, there's so many things, but yeah, the, the movement. So really look at how do you want to structure your days? I do recommend people make a weekly template calendar to put on the wall for when oh, okay. you tend to do things at this time so that there's some structure because okay. if it's a free for all, um, that's really, you're going to, you're going to have a lot of consequences, especially in the weeks to come as the free for all, it'll get harder and harder to put structure in later. Uh-huh. So I do recommend getting some real good structures in place for time. You don't have to follow it all the time, but at least have a visual, like you mentioned uh-huh. earlier, a visual uh, representation of what their weeks look like. Um, and use the opportunities of this time to do, you know, build the relationship. Uh, your kids, again, are going through traumatic experiences. They are feeling our anxiety. This is an opportunity to help them work through anxiety. So often many of us have grown up with, oh, don't feel. Oh yeah, don't don't cry. Don't think about it. Oh, just forget about it. Oh, s- stop being negative. You know what? This is a time to validate their yeah. feelings and thoughts, hold space for them, um, not fix it for them, not solve it for them, but teach them how to uh, experience this stuff in a way where they can move through it with yeah. good mental health practices. Um, so I would say that the first thing is the relationship and the mental health, and then yeah. comes the uh, academics or the, like I said, educational experiences. Mm-hmm. Just art is education, uh, you know, yep. nutrition. There, there's so many amazing things in their interests. And, you know, so yeah. don't overthink I love, it. And I, Just because I love you, what you answer a worksheet and, and write an essay and do a test, and that does not mean education. So true. I love what you said about the structure too, because, you know, I think some of, I'm guilty of this. I don't love routines and structures, um, but I, but I need them, but I don't gravitate toward them. Right. So sometimes it's that forcing yourself to like, Hey, all right, we're going to put this in place. It doesn't mean we have to be super rigid, but we need something. You need need some type of a plan in place that we're going to loosely follow, even if it's loosely. And it has to be visual. Yes. Yeah. So I, and I've seen, I know that there's stuff floating around the internet. There's some templates out there. If you go on Pinterest, or if you just Google like family schedule, you know, during this pandemic or whatever, there's, I know there are resources out there that I've seen. Um, so 
or you could just be, you can make a chart the old fashioned way, you know, just use a blank sheet of paper and, and yep. <laughs> map it yeah. out. Doesn't have to be pretty, but. So Seth, one question that we um, always ask the people on our podcast, because it's called the Elam Thriving Podcast is, what is it that helps you thrive instead of just survive in, in your life and the work that you do? For However me. you want to answer that. Yes. What helps no. you thrive? Okay. I guess this is going to sound, if, if you follow my stuff or if you're listening to the rest of the podcast, it's going to sound so repetitive, but I think what makes me thrive is relationships, connection, secure, healthy relationships with friends and family and people that I care about. So it's connecting. Now, I will say that something I don't say very often in relation to that is that I think the secret to life and this quote unquote, the secret to happiness in life is service, mm. generosity, kindness, empathy, compassion, service, giving of myself without expecting anything from anybody else. That's how I run my business. That's how I feel very lucky that I learned that at an early age after being a very, very, very selfish person for a large portion of my life, I learned that the secret is not in trying to take and get and achieve and look cool and all this stuff, but it was in sort of just giving back and seeing how I can be helpful and how I can show up for people. And I don't do it perfectly or anything like that. But if you ask me what helps me thrive, I will tell you that that's where the deepest joy in my life comes from. Yeah. Is in trying to serve and trying to say, hey, you know, I have my own gifts and my own strengths and talents and passions and things that are important to me and things that matter and that give me purpose and stuff like that. And how can I give an outpouring of those things to people around me? Yeah. Um, so I think the way that I thrive is with connection, with trying to be present with people and then trying related to that to serve and, and yeah. give. Um, I love that. <laughs> it's it's yeah. in the weirdest way. It's not that hard. And in the another way, it was so hard for me to yeah. learn this, such a simple lesson in life. I, I was just in such a selfish, self-centered place in my life. Mm. I didn't, I, I couldn't never have comprehended how generosity and empathy and compassion and understanding would help me. And yeah. I will say in order to get to that place, and this is a big executive function thing of being able to serve and be compassionate started really with me learning to be self-compassionate and hmm. self-loving yeah. and treat me how uh, I treated other people. I would treat other people better than I would treat myself. I'd be so mm -hmm. self-critical and to really do the introspective, reflective, difficult journaling and mm -hmm. reflection work and hard, deep inner work on myself, figuring out what my skeletons in the closet were and what my demons were and really facing those things. I learned to, for years I worked on that stuff and it, it was so painfully slow, my progress. And eventually after so many years, I finally came to a place where I realized that I am never going to be more than human. And after years of work on myself, I was like, I'm still human. I still yep. have flaws and mistakes and 
things that happen. And at that point, it was like, can I accept myself for my humanity and my flaws, in, even if they never go away? And that was wow, a that's such a key me. point. Yeah, where I really learned the compassion. And once I crossed that line, I think that's when I became more compassionate towards others than I ever had been in my life. I mean, I had always tried or a lot of times I had tried, but, but that was a big turning point where I really was like, wow. When I felt comfortable with myself being human, I finally could really drop because I would judge people so quickly and so harshly in my mind. I mean, I wouldn't just say things out loud, but in my mind, I would just, but that was a reflection of how I felt about Seth. I was judging Seth and it just, you know, was a tool that I used to avoid looking at me. But once I crossed that line, I'm like, yeah, it's okay. I'm okay being anyhow i hope that that so that's kind of how i i thrive i didn't even talk about the basics of sleep nutrition and exercise i mean that's part of you know trying to thrive and but i think the relationships the service and the introspection and self-compassion Seth, this has been awesome thank you so much for taking this time with thanks for having me yeah in the midst of all this going on um this has just been really great to spend this time with you today Thanks for sharing your wisdom, your life experiences. Um, I just, I really deeply appreciate that. Thank you for what you are doing by creating this and all the families you're helping and your work. So go to sethperler.com, S-E-T-H-P-E-R-L-E-R. I have a YouTube channel. You can look up Seth Perler on there. If you subscribe on the YouTube channel and thumbs up things, that does help my messages get out to more families. And please share my stuff. I work really hard to give as much as I can for free to families all over. Please share my things, comment, whatever. Um, on my site, if you sign up at SethProler.com, I send a weekly uh, update where I'll tell you, you know, if they're online parent conferences or my every single week I put out a new vlog. And then lately I've been making the COVID-19 response page on my site. So there's a lot of new content to help you through this. Oh, that's awesome. So that's perfect. Okay. So once again, it's S E T H P E R L E R.com. That's it. All right. Thank you, Seth. All right, everybody. Oh, and the executive function online summit, TFOS 2020. I just signed up for it myself. Awesome. (laughs) Awesome. Was it easy to sign up? It was very easy to sign up. Yeah. Okay. Because I'd just been working on that page. Um, it's Executive Function Summit. Wait, is that right? Yeah. ExecutiveFunctionSummit.com. Um, so, and it's free. You can buy it afterwards, but the whole thing during it, and it'll be August 7th is free. And it was amazing. It's just for parents. I'm really, really excited. I'm really excited to be part of that. All right, oh. Seth. Well, thank you so much. All right. Take care. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Elam Thriving Podcast. If you like what you heard, hit subscribe. It would mean a lot to us if you left some feedback. You can learn more about us at our website, elamcs.org. Thanks again for listening.